welcome back to the Very Short Introductions podcast. From public health to Buddhist ethics, soft matter to classics and art history to globalisation, or showcase a concise and original introduction to a wide range of subjects for wherever your curiosity may take you. So here is today's Very Short Introduction. Hello, my name is Rich Newman. I'm a professor of history at the Rochester Institute of Technology, and I'm the author or editor of several books on the abolitionist movement, African-American history, and the Civil War era. The title of my book that I'm going to talk about today is Abolitionism, a very short introduction, and the topic covers what I think is the most important and consequential social movement in American and Atlantic history in the last couple of hundred years. That's the struggle to end slavery, which we refer to as the abolitionist movement. A lot of people think that the abolitionist movement is important, but kind of off to the side. They view anti-slavery politicians and generals and other figures as more important in the destruction of slavery. But this book, Abolitionism, a very short introduction, tries to show that the abolitionist struggle took a lot of concerted effort and continuous activism by uh, abolitionists and their allies to end slavery in the United States, Great Britain, and around the Atlantic world. I first got interested in the subject in graduate school about 30 years ago when I was studying the American Civil War. And what I noticed is that when most scholars refer to the abolitionist movement, either in the United States or Great Britain, they refer to the struggles to end slavery right before the American Civil War. In other words, in the few decades leading to the 1860s. And yet when I was doing primary source research in libraries and in older texts, I discovered that there was an abolitionist movement in the 18th century that never faded or ended, that there was a continuous movement that was focused on ending slavery, both in the United States and in Great Britain, and indeed in many places around the world, and that it functioned from the mid 18th century right through the Civil War era. And so this set in my mind, a great problem up, which is how did the abolitionist movement first start before the American Revolutionary Era? How did it develop and change? Why was it more successful in the years leading up to the American Civil War? How did it take shape in Great Britain in the 1830s? What was the aftermath of slavery in the Caribbean? And then how did it impact the Civil War era and the era of Reconstruction in the United States? So all of these questions were circulating in my mind in graduate school and then when I wrote my first book which studied the transition from an early gradualist style of abolition in the United States during the 1780s, 1890s and early 1800s and a more aggressive brand of abolitionism that took root in the United States and in Great Britain in the 1820s, 1830s and 1840s and I refer to that as the transformation of abolitionism and that was the subject of the book and that led to uh, my second book, which is a focus on African-American reformer Richard Allen, who was a key abolitionist between the 1780s and 1830s. And that led to a whole career of uh, re-examination of the abolitionist movement in the United States, in British Canada, uh, in Great Britain, in the Caribbean, and around the world. And uh, it was a real delight to write this very short introduction because it forced me in less than 100 pages to kind of distill the essence of the abolitionist movement down into a few key topics. When I talk about the abolitionist movement in this book, there are really three things that stand out and I want scholars as well as interested readers 
to remember. First of all, is this idea that the abolitionist movement was really one driven by continuous waves of activism. The abolitionists are getting their due in television documentaries, radio documentaries, a whole spate of books. So a lot of people are familiar with the abolitionist movement today, but still they think of abolitionists as on the margins of politics and society. They're yelling and screaming about ending slavery. They're angry, they're aggressive, but they don't often seem to be consequential. And what I want readers to understand is that abolitionists from the moment the organized movement began in the uh, 1770s and 1780s, right up until it ended in the late 19th century, uh, really focused on uh, deploying tactics and strategies that would destroy slavery across the Atlantic world. Abolitionists were interested not only in destroying slavery in their home countries, the United States, Great Britain, um, Spanish Cuba, uh, Brazil, uh, they were thinking about a global movement. And in doing so, they were really focused on uh, developing and deploying tactics that would get people's attention and then uh, work their way through legal bodies and political institutions to undermine and eventually destroy slavery. So petitioning uh, governments for the end of the slave trade and slavery is a huge part of the abolitionist movement. The first abolitionist petitions to parliament and the new United States Congress take shape in the 18th century. So we're talking about the 1780s and the 1790s. And then they're continuous part of Anglo-American politics through to the American Civil War era. So abolitionists generate hundreds of thousands of, of petition signatures, thousands of anti-slavery petitions telling uh, statesmen and congressmen and other political officials that they have to destroy the slave trade, that they have to end slavery in various states uh, across the nation, that they have to take steps to defend their abolitionist measures. This takes an incredible amount of organization and forethought, takes an incredible amount of money, um, takes an incredible amount of energy, but abolitionists keep up their petition campaigns for several decades. And that's one of the reasons that slavery becomes identified as a major problem in Western culture. Similarly, if you look at abolitionist lawyers from the late 18th century through to the 1850s and 1860s, generations of abolitionist lawyers are working in courts of law to uh, undermine slavery's legal status. In Great Britain in 1772, legal figures lead the bench to declare slavery essentially inoperable in England. This is the famous Mansfield decision of 1772. But in the United States as well, in the 1780s, 1790s, and early 1800s, abolitionist lawyers are working to restrict slavery's operation in northern states like Pennsylvania and Massachusetts, even in southern states like Virginia and Maryland. Uh, again, this takes tremendous effort, tremendous organization, tremendous energy, and abolitionists do achieve a whole series of legal victories, uh, both in the United States and Great Britain. So I want people to understand that activism is not just a word, it's a way of life for uh, these figures that uh, dedicate themselves to ending slavery uh, in Anglo-American culture between the uh, late 18th and early 19th centuries. The second main point that I want people to understand is that the abolitionist movement was comprised of an incredibly diverse cast of reformers. So diversity was a watchword of the abolitionist struggle. It included statesmen and lawyers as, uh, as a key part of the movement, but it also included social activists, writers. It included uh, photographers who sought to uh, capture 
uh, African Americans in new ways in the 1840s and 1850s and humanize them through this new technology of photography. We're talking about black as well as white photographers. Men as well as women, African Americans, as well as white men and women. So the abolitionist movement was characterized from start to finish by an incredible sense of diversity. Uh, we can see this in uh, a lot of different areas. For example, if we look at the early abolitionist movement in the United States in the 1780s and 1790s, African-Americans become a key part of the anti-slavery struggle. They inform and instruct uh, white abolitionists about the horrors of enslavement. Uh, they serve as advocates in courts of law and other venues. They work on the Underground Railroad to deliver enslaved people from slavery to freedom. So someone like Richard Allen, who was born as an enslaved man in 1760 uh, in colonial America, he earns his freedom in the 1780s and becomes a preacher and abolitionist activist. By the early 1790s, he's publishing anti-slavery pamphlets aimed at undermining slavery status in the United States and trying to convince people to support abolitionist legislation in state and federal governments. He lives until 1831. He organizes conventions that are aimed at deploying activists around the country for the abolitionist movement. He publishes more uh, anti-slavery pamphlets and he kind of runs a network of uh, black and white abolitionist figures that is continually updating its anti-slavery tactics in American society. In Great Britain, women serve a critical role in the abolitionist movement. Elizabeth Hyrick, who is a Quaker activist in the 1820s, she's one of the first people to talk about uh, ending slavery immediately in the British Empire. So whole generations of anti-slavery women galvanize around Elizabeth Hyrick and, and other English women who are trying to stigmatize slavery as evil and wrong, and then organize people to petition parliament uh, to end British slavery altogether in the British colonies. Their activism influences American women so that by the late 1820s and early 1830s, new generations of American women are getting involved in the abolitionist movement. They're doing some of the same things that women in Great Britain are doing. They're petitioning against slavery. They're writing poetry with anti-slavery messages. They're publishing pamphlets. Eventually, they uh, become newspaper editors and lecturers. So you can't understand the rise and significance of the abolitionist movement in Anglo-American culture without looking at the importance of anti-slavery women. Finally, the book focuses on the critical importance of African-Americans both in and beyond the abolitionist movement. What I argue is that the formal abolitionist movement that takes shape in Anglo-American culture and other parts of the world in the late 18th century is really just a small part of a transatlantic abolitionist struggle that transcends formal organization. So the first abolitionist organization in the world is formed in Philadelphia in 1775. It's subsequently known as the Pennsylvania Abolition Society. There are anti-slave trading groups created in Great Britain in the 1780s. Later on, the American Anti-Slavery Society takes shape in the 1830s. So there are many different organized abolitionist groups. But well beyond these groups and their members, there is always an African-American struggle for freedom, a struggle that is, in a sense, imagined by people of African descent free of abolitionist allies. 
going all the way back to the beginnings of Atlantic slavery in the 1500s, we see uh, African descended people rebelling against bondage. We see people running away from slavery in Spanish, British, Dutch, French, and later American locales. By the 18th century, black runaways and black rebels are compelling abolitionists and politicians and statesmen to take seriously anti-slavery messages. So whether or not you're talking about a formal abolitionist movement, as I do in this book, you have to realize that there is a much broader abolitionist struggle going on, and it often centers on the aspirations and goals of African-American people in and beyond both the United States and Great Britain. For example, in the 1760s, there are several major slave rebellions that occur in the Caribbean. They occur both in British Jamaica and in Dutch Berbice. And these rebellions are so successful and terrifying that they convince a new generation of American reformers to begin pressuring political bodies in the American colonies and in Great Britain to think about ways to end the slave trade and end slavery itself. So even before the first abolitionist institutions are created, we can note the significance of slave rebels on the Atlantic landscape. They're convincing people in and out of politics that slavery is wrong, that there are problems with it, and that there should be movements to end slavery all around Atlantic society. The most successful slave rebellion, of course, is the slave rebellion in Saint-Domingue, a very prosperous French colony. During the 1790s, the slave rebellion in Saint-Domingue convinces French revolutionaries who are establishing an independent government in metropolitan France to issue the first major abolition edicts for the Caribbean world. By 1793, 1794, the French government has declared all of slavery illegal throughout the French colonies. So this transcends even the Mansfield decision of 1772. This influences both black and white abolitionists around the world, and it also influences uh, governments in the United States, Great Britain, and France to continue thinking about ways to end the slave trade and slavery itself. So once again, it's really important to remember that well beyond the formal abolitionist movement, African descended people are struggling for freedom in many different ways from running away to outright rebellion. Well, I hope that has sparked your interest in the abolitionist movement. It's a very important topic, one that is very timely for our world, very important part of the discussions we're having about race and justice, both in the United States and in Great Britain and indeed in other parts of the world. And hopefully you will do more reading on the abolitionist struggle now and its implications for the present day world. Thank you. Thank you for listening to season four of the Very Short Instructions podcast. Please stay tuned as we will be back with new episodes in October. In the meantime, you can subscribe on your favourite podcast app to receive episodes directly to your feed. The Very Short Introductions podcast can also be found on SignCloud and YouTube at OEP Academic. Mm-hmm.